We're excited to bring you a new season of the Just Admitted podcast. But first, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in. And now for the show. Hi there. Welcome to semester six, episode four of the Ivy Wise Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Tasha, your host for this season. I'm an admission counselor at Ivy Wise, a former international admissions officer at USC, and former assistant director of international admissions at Boston University. Katie is a premier counselor at Ivy Wise and is a former senior assistant director of admissions at MIT. And luckily, we're here today to talk about MIT. We're going to hear about the university. What is it all about? What are they looking for in applicants, the application process, all from the perspective of Katie, a former admissions officer. So listen closely and remember, if you ever have more questions, you can check out the Ivy Wise knowledge base on our website, ivywise.com. But I also highly recommend checking out MIT's virtual or in-person information sessions. All right. So hi, Katie. Hi, Tasha. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, So we're going to start off by just talking about MIT a little bit at a high level, a bird's eye view, uh, and then getting a little bit more specific. But uh, we'll start with that, and then we'll talk about the application process itself and things that prospective students should be thinking about. So first things first, Katie, can you describe to me your typical MIT student? Absolutely. And I think this is a total cop out because I'm going to say there really is no typical MIT student. Um, but there's definitely qualities across the board with MIT students that I, I saw, you know, and things that we were looking for in applicants as well. Um, I think what sets MIT students apart from students at other universities is really this insane passion for doing whatever it is that they're interested in. Um, and so, you know, whether that is the project that they're working on in their physics lab or the computer science robot that they're trying to program or the cool roller coaster that they're building outside their dorm. Like MIT students put 150% into everything that they do. Um, They're not ones to sort of rest on their laurels. Um, It's definitely a quirky undergraduate student population. Um, But overall, yeah, I think that like giving everything that you've got to everything that you're doing um, and being very, 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 very passionate about it. Um, That's definitely one of the the common qualities amongst MIT students. Great. And can you describe MIT itself just kind of in nuts and bolts? Absolutely. So something that surprised me when I started working at MIT, you know, you hear about MIT for years and I was like, oh, it must be this gigantic university. It's actually more of a medium sized university for undergraduate students. So there's about 4,200 undergraduates, uh, about 7,200 graduate students, uh, pretty even split in terms of 50-50 male-female. Uh, about 10% of students are international, so coming from a variety of different countries. I think the freshman class they just admitted uh, on Wednesday or this past Pi Day uh, was uh, from over people from over 100 different countries, uh, which is awesome. Um, it is located in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and it is just across the river from Boston. Um, so great city. 
very easy to get around um, and gorgeous location right there on the uh, the Charles River. Um, in terms of academics, um, and we'll dig into this a little bit, um, but something that surprises students always is that MIT is not just an engineering school. Um, that's definitely the biggest school that they have. Um, about 60% of students major in something in the engineering realm, um, but they also have a school of science, uh, the Sloan School of Business Management, which is well known for graduate programs, but also offers undergrad programs. And then the School of Architecture and Urban Planning, and then the School of Humanities, Arts, and Social Science. Um, so you can actually be a creative writing or theater major at MIT. Not something a lot of people think of when they're like, yes, I want to go to MIT and be a theater major. Um, but what I think is important to know is kind of no matter what you're interested in majoring in, um, you're going to do a lot within science and technology no matter what. Um, and it's sort of that solid foundation in the sciences um, in engineering that you're going to get and then you'll dive you know further into whatever that subject is that you are most interested in um what i really liked about mit is that everyone had to take a set of general institute requirements um so yeah you needed to take physics and chemistry and biology and calculus again um, or go into a higher level one if you'd done those in high school but everyone also had to do eight classes in the humanities arts and social science um and you know the thinking behind this is kind of yeah you're gonna go off and work in the world and do things maybe in science and engineering but you should also be able to communicate effectively with people and and understand um you know kind of both sides of the left brain and right brain thinking and all of that. Um, also a fun requirement, everyone has to take PE classes at MIT. So um, you you know can sign up and do yoga for a quarter or you can do Pilates. Um, there's even, you can get a an MIT pirate certificate if you do like a fencing PE class, a sailing PE class and um, pistol or rifle So you can graduate and be an MIT pirate. Uh, so lots of cool things there, um, but definitely not just an engineering school. Wow, I'm surprised I hadn't heard that pirate fa fact before. It's pretty silly. I know. There's <laughs> <out> there. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, okay, so we've already talked about the fact that MIT is most known for engineering. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think the other um, thing that I'll, I'll talk about that kind of dips into, you know, what sets MIT apart in terms of academics is that everything is very much interdisciplinary uh, at MIT. And, and this is by design, you know, it's, it's not like, okay, the biology department's over here doing all biology stuff and the chemistry department's over here doing just chemistry stuff. There's a lot of collaboration between the departments at MIT and um, MIT is one of the first institutions that I saw to start really doing kind of combined degrees, which I think is becoming more and more common across universities uh, in the US right now. You know, you're seeing, okay, this is a math and computer science degree or, biology and economics, um, and MIT has kind of been doing a lot of those combined degrees for a while um, because they really believe that bringing people together who think in different ways and who have specialties from different 
disciplines is going to end up creating better solutions in the long run. Um, and so that idea of sort of collaboration leading to innovation is really built within the fabric of MIT. Um, I think a, a great example of that is the Koch Center for Integrative Cancer Research that is at MIT, which brings both engineers and scientists together. You know, the scientists are figuring out the drug that's going to kill the cancer cells and the engineers are figuring out how to deliver it. You know, in uh, in other research situations, it's like those two disciplines are very separated. And by having everyone, you know, in one building and eating lunch together and sharing, you know, stories about everything, they're able to sort of speed up that research process because the engineers and the scientists are working so closely um, together. And so that, you know, that's something I think that is emblematic of an MIT education for sure is like you're you're going to collaborate a lot with other people, um, you know, even the way that you're doing homework as a freshman, you're expected to do it with other people. Um, you're not, you know, off doing things by yourself, but instead it's that expectation that you're working on things in groups and you're relying on each other. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that, I think, is what sets sort of the MIT education apart. Um, and yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Katie. Uh, so I guess we'll um, hop into student life and extracurricular activities now that we've talked about academics a little bit. What should we know about MIT student life that might be different from other places? Yeah, um, I definitely had some preconceived notions before I started working at MIT that, you know, students were just studying and doing math problems all of the time. And um, I was really surprised to see what a vibrant student life there is. Um, so there's over 450 different student clubs and organizations. And like, there really is a club for everything. Um, and whatever your interests might be or things that you didn't even know you were interested in. Um, there, there probably is a club for that. Um, I really enjoyed when I was working at MIT, I helped coordinate our admitted students weekend called Campus Preview Weekend and got to work really closely with all of these student organizations. And so, you know, like the Spinning Arts Club, which is fire spinning, um, that, you know, they have club meetings on Friday nights and they spin fire and it's like, how does this even work? And let's talk about a safety plan before you have an event with a bunch of uh, pre-frosh that you're lighting things on fire with. Um, but very cool club. Um, they have, you know, as a Harry Potter fan, I was very excited that there was a Quidditch club. Um, but there's always, you know, so many cool things that students are doing. Um, one of my favorite clubs that organized a bunch of events during Campus Preview Weekend was Amphibious Achievement. Um, so this is a group of students who are on uh, the sailing, swimming, and water polo teams, club teams at MIT. So MIT does have sports. Um, and they run programs for students from uh, underserved high schools around Boston, where they do in the morning tutorings, like helping them prep for the SAT or the ACT. And then in the afternoon, they do um, coaching for whatever the sport is that that student might be interested in. Um, so whether that's swimming or water polo or sailing. So lots of cool things that were happening. Um, and, you know, I think you're definitely not going to be bored at MIT as a student. Um, again, something that surprised me. Um, MIT students are super, super, super active outside of the classroom. Um, another really big component of 
um, MIT student life, I think that's worth mentioning as well is, is residential life. Uh, it's a little different than most other schools that I've been around and certainly my own alma mater, Boston College, um, in that MIT really puts the student in the driver's seat um, in terms of where they end up living. Um, so during your freshman year, you basically get to choose where you live. Um, and so they do something called residence exploration. Um, and you get to go and like see all the events that the different dorms put on and figure out which one matches with your personality and your living style. Um, and all the dorms, there's now 13, um, definitely have their own sort of personality and flair. Um, and so, you know, there's the nuts and bolts types of things that are different. Like some you're on a meal plan and you're eating in a dining hall. Others, you have your own kitchen and you can cook for yourself. Um, but the dorms definitely have their own personalities, I would say. Um, so like Random Hall always is doing very random things. Um, they're very famous. They have, I think it's probably about 25 years or maybe 30 years old now at this point. Um, they have a milk carton still full of milk that is almost, yeah, more than two decades old um, that someone had like forgotten it in a fridge one time and now it's become like their little mascot. Um, even when I was working at MIT, the milk uh, submitted an application for freshman admission um, when it was 18 years old or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's lots of fun personality things that happen. I had mentioned a roller coaster earlier. Um, East Campus builds a roller coaster twice a year. Um, so they do it during the residence exploration period. And then again, during the campus preview weekend, um, there's uh, a lot of dorms that have a bunch of like the multicultural houses within them. So you can live on like the French floor, or the German floor um, and try and work on speaking primarily that language and celebrating that culture. Um, so there's a lot of cool elements of, uh, of residential life at MIT for sure. And then um, something also I didn't really realize um, is that there's a, a pretty vibrant um, Greek life at MIT as well. So about 50% of students are involved in uh, some type of Greek life. There are a number of uh, fraternities, sororities, and then um, unique groups that are called independent living groups. Um, so it's all called FSILGs at MIT. Um, and that's another option for students after their first year if they wanted to move into the house. And a lot of those houses are actually across the river in the city of Boston. Um, so you can live in like a really nice brownstone in Boston um, and be part of a fraternity or a sorority. So um, I want to kind of transition to talking more about how to apply and the application process now that we've learned more about MIT itself and, and what it's all about. So Katie, can you tell me what it, what is MIT looking for in applicants? Oh, absolutely. So I think what's important to know is like there's no one perfect student that MIT is looking for. That's true across the board for any school that you're thinking about. Um, but as you look at a lot of the qualities that exist at MIT and like, what does an education at MIT look like? What, what do they value? What, you know, what's the mission? All of those things. Those are, those are the qualities that MIT is looking for in its applicants as well. And so, you know, MIT's mission is using science and technology to make the world a better place. Um, and so, that is what they're looking for in applicants, you know, students who are not just like, yeah, I want to make this invention and then go make billions of dollars on it. But instead, 
I want to create this thing so that I make life better for this group of people. Um, or, you know, I talked about the, the Koch Center for Integrative Cancer Research and that idea of collaborative and cooperative work. Um, you know, there were plenty of students that we would read applications from and they're like, I just like working by myself and like, I work better independently and all that. And like, that is great for that student, but that's not a good fit for MIT. And so looking at students who do enjoy group work and who do work well with others and like that idea of collaboration, um, students that, you know, as I had mentioned with like, what is the typical MIT student, MIT student like that sort of go-getter spirit, that initiative, um, a desire to seek out opportunities. Um, and so, you know, this is, you know, one of my tips for students as you're thinking about, okay, how, what do I need to do in high school? Like if MIT is a school that I'm interested in, well, don't sit back and, you know, kind of wait for high school to happen to you, but instead go out and seek opportunities. If you're interested in something, go find a way to be able to explore that more. Um, MIT also really loves students who, you know, take risks and fail. There's so much failure that happens at MIT. And, you know, I think that's part of any like science field in research. There's always going to be failures. Um, and so much of that is what do you learn from those things? Um, what do you learn from those experiences and how do you bounce back? Um, the motto of MIT is men's at Manus, which means mind and hand. Uh, another, you know, important quality that that they're looking for in students is that sort of hands-on creativity. Um, so know that, like, I've talked to families before and like, okay, so this means that I must be on the robotics team to go to MIT. No, there's a lot of ways to be creative with your hands um, and, and to do things that, you know, you're kind of getting your hands dirty. Um, but being active um, and not just kind of like hanging out in your mind space all the time and philosophizing about computer science, but actually going and doing those things. Um, and, you know, a couple other things I'll add is this, this sort of ability to prioritize balance. Um, and I know this is really hard for students to do, and it's totally an unfair expectation sometimes of high school students to say like, yes, you should have great work-life balance in high school, but also you need to do all of these things to get into college. But MIT definitely appreciates students who have been able to kind of find that balance in their life and don't necessarily try and do every single billion thing, like the billions of things under the sun, but focus on those things that you're really excited about. And so, you know, spending the time investing in things that you are genuinely excited about, not doing the stuff that this is what's going to look good for a college admissions officer, but this is what I'm really excited about. Do those things instead. Um, and, you know, find some time for some fun in there as well. That's great advice that I also try to give uh, my students, Katie. So thank you for reminding us of that. Uh, okay, but if I'm if I were a student listening to this and I had uh, you know read up on MIT and then listened to all of this and continued to get excited, I would be wondering, okay, but 
how do I actually apply? Doesn't MIT have its whole other thing? Can you break that down for us, Katie? How can a prospective student actually apply to MIT and what are the requirements? Absolutely. Um, so start with the website, um, mitadmissions.org. And uh, what is important to know is MIT does have its own application. Um, so you will apply entirely through the MIT portal. Um, you're not going to use the common application. That beautiful, lovely 650 word personal statement that you have slaved over for your other schools. MIT is not interested in seeing that. Um, they have their own specific es um, essay questions that they're going to ask. Um, and each part of the application is really structured to support some of those things that I talked about in terms of what MIT is looking for in their applicants um, and also give uh, applicants a chance to showcase the things that are really important to MIT in the process. And so, um, you know, they're going to ask yes about a couple of activities that you've been involved with, but unlike the common application where you have spots for 10 activities, you actually only have space for four activities for the MIT application. Um, and they only want to know about things that you've done since 10th grade on. Um, and, you know, some of that is recognizing that ninth grade is a time when you should be exploring things and figuring out what clubs or activities or things you are really passionate about. And so if you're not doing something, you know, if you do something in ninth grade and then decide you don't like it, that's okay. Um, you know, you can drop it after ninth grade and and switch and pivot to something else. But they are very purposeful in that. Um, you know, even when I worked there back in, I left in 2016, um, it was five activities, but now it's four. And, you know, these are very deliberate choices that MIT has made to kind of try and communicate that it's not about the, the quantity of things that you're doing. It's about the quality of things that you're doing. Um, they'll also give you space to talk about six things that you've done over your summers throughout high school. So don't rest on your laurels during the summer, you know, make sure that you're doing things. Um, and then there's a lot of space for academic and non-academic distinctions. Um, and so this is kind of similar to the honor section of the common application. You get space to talk about these things. Um, what I do want to emphasize is like, don't feel bad if you don't have a bunch of honors or distinctions to put in a certain section. Like I always still remember the kids who like made up a bunch of awards that they gave themselves. So like only child, best son, um, you know, if you don't have things to put in there and, and you are maybe a humorous person, try your humor in that section. Um, if you're not naturally funny, then don't try and be funny in that section. But there's definitely, you know, ways to kind of highlight those different things and how you've sort of stood out in the different things that you've done in your life. Um, another um, kind of important thing to know about the application requirements is teacher recommendations. Um, so most schools, you're able to submit two teacher recommendations. That's true of MIT as well, but they do require one from a math or science teacher and then one from a humanities teacher. Um, I, you know, I know students often like, wait, but I want to send my computer science teacher and my math teacher and my physics teacher. And I'm like, yes, I understand. But MIT also wants to know, like, how do you do in the other side of things? And, um, you know, it's not because they don't appreciate the perspective of every one of your STEM teachers, but do want to get that sort of balanced perspective of how are you in 
you know, uh, another subject area besides perhaps what you're you're most passionate about. Um, like most other schools, you'll have a counselor letter of recommendation as well. If you have a counselor at your school who writes recommendation letters and will submit the school report, you will actually self-report your grades. They also do uh, require testing. Um, and so for two years, MIT was test optional, um, but they have gone back to requiring testing at this point. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, what? Wait what, this is crazy, why? Um, and you know what I will say from having been on the inside of the admissions process is that MIT has done a lot of longitudinal studies on what does testing mean in terms of your performance at MIT? How are your standardized tests indicative of how you might succeed at MIT? And so they are very important. They are also taking everything into context. Like I would frequently look at the average scores for a student's high school and say like, oh my gosh, okay, yes, maybe you only have a 700 on the math section, but the average for your high school is a 500. And so you're much, much farther above that. And so do know that they require that. Um, they will super score, you know, across the SAT and the ACT. Um, they're one of few schools that does that across both those tests. So uh, if you happen to take both the SAT and the ACT, they will super score across those. Um, I definitely don't recommend trying to take both the SAT and the ACT, just prepare for one. Um, but no matter what you do, they will super score, which is great. Um, and then there's also an optional interview that's part of the application process that happens once you get um, your application in. So you'll be assigned uh, an interviewer, it's called an educational counselor. Um, this is an MIT alum, typically who lives in your area. Um, and as long as they have the bandwidth, so if you're in an area that they don't have a lot of interviewers, it's not a bad thing if you don't get an interview, it's not going to be held against you. Um, but if they do have interviewers available, you'll have that option after you submit your application. Again, you know, as I mentioned, like MIT has done a lot of studies to look at what um, what the value of testing is in the process and what the test scores actually mean and digging more into the context. And so it's not just a matter of you know, me sitting down and looking at an applicant and saying, okay, well, you don't have a 700. And so I'm going to automatically deny you. Like we were always digging a bit more deeply into the numbers there. Um, that being said, you know, if a student was kind of at the like 750 range or above or 34 above on the, the ACT for their testing, like that was not a place that we worried about a student. Um, and so if you're out there stressing because you have like a 790 on the math and you really want that 800 and like, oh, I'm not going to get into MIT unless I have that 800. No, MIT does not care. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a law of diminishing returns at that point. If you're sort of above that threshold, you're going to be fine. Um, we weren't worried about how a student was going to perform. Um, but testing is part of the puzzle. Um, so, you know, what my kind of first priority was whenever I was reading applications um, was figuring out, okay, is this student going to be able to succeed at MIT? I never wanted to bring a student to MIT who was just going to come and fail. Um, you know, that's not fun for the student, that's not fun for MIT. Um, and so testing is one of those things that 
does have um, a really good predictive value for MIT, especially the math side of things, because there's a lot of math that happens at MIT and what you're studying. Um, and so, yes, they've gone back to requiring tests. I don't anticipate them going away from that anytime soon. Um, just because of the value of, of testing in the process, but no, it's only one component. Um, they're also looking very closely at your grades. Um, something I forgot to mention about requirements is sort of this recommendation that you are through calculus by senior year. Um, so that could be you're doing A-level math, you're doing IB higher level math AA, you're doing AP calculus, um, and then you have had some exposure in, in some realm to all three of the lab sciences, biology, chemistry, physics. Um, you know, a lot of students I work with be like, well, I want to major in computer science, so shouldn't I go take all of these computer science classes? Yes, go take the computer science classes, but also make sure you've had those three sciences and you're getting through calculus. Um, those are very indicative of, as well of how a student is going to succeed at MIT. And so those were helpful metrics for me to really dig into as well. And I think having some uh, some context behind that and understanding, you know, why certain schools make the decision to go back to tests and others don't, you know, on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, if you heard our episode two, we heard from Eric talking about Columbia University, who in fact made the choice to go entirely test optional. Uh, but they are, you know, two very different institutions with perhaps slightly different priorities and um profiles of students. And so I think it's really important to just kind of keep that in mind and uh, understand that it's for any of those kind of big strategic decisions are being made for, for good reason. But let's talk about some of these more qualitative factors. So can we talk about MIT's essay supplements? What are they? Um, maybe not specifically, but just generally, and what are some common themes that students should be prepared to tackle? Yeah, so I think it's important to know, like all of these questions have been toiled over for years and years and years and years. Um, it's very exciting this past year, they changed slightly the wording of one of their questions. Um, but each question that they ask, so uh, nuts and bolts wise, there are five short answer questions um, that you have to ask, answer as part of the MIT application. Um, again, they don't want your common application personal statement. I'm sorry. Um, but they do ask questions for important reasons. So um, when they ask, we know you lead a busy life full of activities, many of which are required of you. Tell us about something you do simply for the pleasure of it. Like they actually want to know what you do for fun. Um, and that is, you know, that goes back to that quality of, um, being able to have balance in life. So, you know, I had talked about how MIT is a really hard place and they want to make sure that you kind of have that work-life balance. And so that question was always really helpful for us to see, like, does a student have some type of outlet of something that they do for fun? And, and like, there is no right answer. Like, Plenty of students were like, I sleep, I watch Netflix, you know, I play the piano, I play basketball. Um, you know, there's no right answer to what you do for fun. Um, and I wasn't ever judging students based on what they did. I mostly was looking at, do you have something that you're able to kind of turn to when things get difficult to sort of unplug? Um, and so, you know, be honest in that question. Um, 
you know, another question they ask is to talk about a significant challenge you faced and sort of how you've overcome that. Like, how did you manage that situation? And again, that ties into this idea of there's going to be a lot of failure at MIT. You're going to have really hard tests. You might get like the first F you've ever had in your life. And how do you bounce back from that? Um, and so looking for students that use bumps in the road or failures or things that don't go according to plan as an opportunity to um, bounce back and to learn from that experience as opposed to saying, all right, well, I'm going to completely fall apart because like my plan didn't work out. Um, if, you know, if you haven't built those skills yet, um, and, and, and that's definitely a life skill to learn, um, you know, how do you fall down and keep getting back up again? Um, but that quality of being able to get back up again and say, all right, what did I learn from that? How am I going to change my behavior versus, you know, trying to do the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Um, that is the definition of insanity, isn't it? Um, and so each of these questions that you'll see, like, there is a purpose behind them. And, you know, as I talked about the qualities of what MIT is looking for in an applicant, they're asking questions to kind of pull those qualities out as well. Um, I think it's important to know as well, like of every college application I have seen, MIT has the most number of optional essay questions. So uh, there are a lot of chances for you to provide additional context for anything that you're writing about in the application process. So if there are aspects of your family background that are important for MIT to know, um, there's a question where you can address that. If there's academic context that's important that MIT understand about, you know, okay, hey, I got mono during junior year and then my school canceled AP calculus and then an asteroid hit my high school and like any of those things, like if that happened, there's space for you to be able to talk about those different things in the process. And so, um, you know, spend time with the essays. Um, they're, you know, they're short. They really are. They've decreased the word count. It used to be 250 words. Now most of them are 225 words. Um, so you don't need like this beautiful Shakespearean prose or like English essay format where you have a thesis and like three body paragraphs and a conclusion, like that's not going to fit in 225 words. Uh, so instead, you know, really like dive right into the meat of it. That's what I wanted to know as an admissions officer, like, okay, don't make me dig in your response for what are you actually trying to say here? Like, lay it out for me and then reflect on it. Um, and I think that's, that's the key thing in any college essay um, that you're looking for is like, give the person that is reading it the information, but make sure you're not missing out on the reflective piece um, because that's that's what really makes up who you are. Like everyone can write an essay about the robot breaking at the competition, but how do you react to it? How did you respond to it? Like I read so, so, so many robots breaking essays. Um, but I really wanted to see, you know, what was an individual student's perspective on it and how did they bounce back from that? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to start wrapping up a little bit, Katie, uh, with just a couple more questions uh, is I'd love to know if there's a way that you would recommend that prospective students uh could further engage with MIT, and then just any more general words of advice about the process and about ways for students to learn more about MIT. 
Absolutely. So I think like one of my favorite resources is the MIT blogs. Um, so MIT was one of the first schools to have admissions blogs. And I think they're still like the biggest name in admissions blogs. Um, not that there's a ton of admissions blogs out there, but um, there's just amazing life advice. And, you know, whether it's coming from under like current undergraduate students or coming from the admission staff who write blogs like there's just a lot of great resources and advice within the blogs both to learn about MIT itself you know what is it like to be a student there and what are some of the things that MIT students are struggling with or navigating or you know how do you choose your major and how do you do this um lots of great advice in terms of general college things, um, but also that sort of specific life experience at MIT. Um, and then I, you know, particularly love the staff blogs for sure in terms of, you know, being very honest and transparent about what is the MIT admissions process, what, you know, what has, what has gone on in the application process this year. Like they, you know, MIT, ooh, they dropped in applications. Oh no, like they're actually totally fine with it. Um, you know, they dropped in applications this year um, because they went back to requiring test scores. And, you know, I, I don't even need to read the blog to know that MIT is okay with that because like they want quality applicants over quantity. Um, but they'll, you know, talk about some of the trends that they're seeing. They'll give advice on how to approach the process. Um, and so I think there's a lot of great uh, advice and wisdom in the blogs that you can tune into. Um, I think it's also definitely worth like playing around on the website and getting to know MIT itself. If you're able to go and take a tour go do that. Um, MIT is not a school that considers demonstrated interest. So don't feel like you have to get to MIT and say like, look, I'm here. I want credit for being here. But it's a great chance to kind of get on the campus and figure out if it is the right place for you. Um, I've had plenty of students who are like, yes, MIT is my dream school. And then they go and visit because I'm like, you should go visit. And they get on campus and they're like, okay, actually, wait, this doesn't feel entirely right. And, you know, I always say to my students, like, they're like, you're so cheesy, Katie. <laughs> like you talk about this gut feeling of going on a college campus and figuring out if it's the right place for you. And then they go and they figure out if a school is the right place for them because of the, that gut feeling. And so as cheesy as it sounds, like if you can get yourself to a college campus, absolutely do it, you know, take advantage of it. Um, if you can't like do a virtual tour, do a virtual information session, there's so many great resources that exist on the web, you know, not just for MIT, um, but for any school, like I love following schools on Instagram and like seeing the day in the life of, you know, the student or what is, I played volleyball in a former life. And so like, what is the Boston College volleyball team up to? Like, why do I follow them on Instagram? I don't know. It's just interesting to look at. And so if there are things that you're interested in and that you're enthusiastic about, like engage with those clubs on the web and like see what they're all about. Um, you know, I think what's really important with any school that you're deciding whether or not you're going to apply to is getting to know it well um, and figuring out, you know, is this the type of place that I'm going to succeed and I'm going to thrive? Like, does it feel right? Are there the opportunities that I want to take advantage of? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, MIT's admissions website, again, like I can't hype it enough. There's so many great resources on there. Um, 
lots of wisdom, lots of tips and tricks. Um, but overall, like do your research and if you can get on, uh, get on the campus. Great, Katie. Thank you so much. Okay. And that just about wraps up this episode of Just Admit It. Again, this was episode four of semester six. Stay tuned for a new episode every other week throughout this spring. But in the meantime, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. If there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the next semester, please email us at podcast at ivywise.com. Don't forget to follow us on socials for more resources on the higher ed landscape. You can find us at at follow ivywise on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks so much for having me, Tasha. And good luck to everyone who's thinking about MIT. From IvyWise, I'm your host, Tasha, and this has been Just Admit It. See you next time.